Hello and welcome to 100% Real with Ruby. Today I have with me Jeb Johnson and we had such an amazing chat that I started the recording while he was talking and I actually brought one of the most important segments to the forefront. So it's kind of a podcast in reverse, but this one is about mindset and the stuff that goes on under what you eat, how you train and the stuff that actually is the super glue for your results, for your consistency. So, yeah. Acceptance is really the key of everything. You know, it's funny because we'll, you know, there's, there's some popular uh, people in fitness that talk about how, um, you know, that acceptance is, is not, is, is somehow weak or it's passive. And, and that, that's not how you, you change, you change by like, you know, I, I don't, it's almost like there's this like promotion of self-loathing in order to change, which the behavior with research does not support at all. But, you know, one of the, one of the most effective, um, uh, uh, um, weight loss programs that was uh, research projects that was done in, in the past, like probably 10 years was one on acceptance-based therapy where they used the acceptance-based therapy. They used multiple, um, therapists to help administer it. And they had a really good protocol and, and, and people lost quite a bit of weight and, and maintained weight loss for, for quite a while. Um, and, but we saw that that was, that was purely based around really acceptance first and then being able to move forward because one of the problems that people have, I believe, is that we're, we, we're never able to accept where we are and acceptance is not, is not, is not condoning. It's not giving up. It's not, it's just saying that like, you know, people will say like, oh, I, how did I get here? I shouldn't be here. Why did I get here? Why? It's like, it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. You are here. You know, oh, why do I weigh 200 pounds? Well, who cares why? You weigh 200 pounds. Do you want to change that? Yes or no? Well, we have to acknowledge that we weigh, but I shouldn't weigh 200 pounds. I never should have gotten here. Great. That doesn't matter. You're here. Let's accept that so that we can move on. And, and I think that's really hard for people to come to terms with because they, they, we're the only animals that regret decisions. Right. When, when a gazelle escapes a, a crocodile while it's running across the river and it, because it made a stupid decision to go in a deep spot, but it gets away. Does it ever sit there and go, well, you know, I, I let me go. Re, let me go try that again, because I did that wrong. I should have done it better. No, they're like, holy shit, I escaped. I'm alive. Keep running. That's what we do. And, uh, and it's a very unique to the human condition, um, which I think is you know, an advantage and it allows us to look at the past and, and try to learn from it. Uh, but I would argue that we have, we don't really learn from the past. I would argue that if we look at, you know, societally, economically, the way economics structured, um, you know, global power structures, things have really not changed. We see cycles of things going up and down, but, you know, we look at power structures and, and, and really, you know, we look now, we've got people worth $200 billion in the same country where people uh, don't have breast milk for their kids, uh, which is that really any different than, um, you know, czarist uh, uh, Russia, you know, with kings and, and fiefdoms? Uh, I don't think so. Um, and so we don't, re I don't really think we learn that much in the past. Uh, we just learn from, hopefully we learn from our micro past, from what we did, you know, this week and allows us to move forward. But again, without that acceptance of where we are, I don't think we can make a change. And so that to me is always the first step. And we work a lot on it. And I, trust me, that's my clients hate that 
that that part, that part more than anything uh, because like mindfulness is cool. We get to work on some tools, interpersonal relationships. It helps us to like, hey, how can I, you know, stop arguing with my husband? Yeah, that's great. Um, distress tolerance is tricks that they can use to 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 stop emotional eating episodes in the tracks. Um, but acceptance is being like, I'm not happy with where I am. Great. You don't have to be happy. You have to accept it. But I don't like it. Don't have to like it. Anytime you say, I don't like, I wish, uh, um, why, you know, those are all things that, that, that indicate that we are not accepting of where we are. And until we do that, probably going to see our results be pretty fleeting. There's something you said I just want you to expand on a little bit more because it's something that I'm big on. Soft words. I can, I try, I only did this, I just did this. Power of words. Can you sum it up with the soft words and turning them into power words and why it's so important with the because it is all perception. Yeah, I mean, for me it's we we really focus more on like um just setting a small goal and saying like, okay, can you do this? Yeah. All right. What's your confidence level? One to 10, you know? Uh, okay. All right, cool. We're going to do that layout for me, how we're going to make that happen this week. Okay. I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and, and that's it. And then, you know, if they don't, they come back, well, this didn't happen. Okay. What, what got in the way? Oh, so unforeseen circumstance, you know, oh, I, I ended up having an emotional eating episode. I sat in the, the pantry and ate a bunch of Oreos. Okay. What about the skills? Well, I didn't even think about them. Okay, that's fine. So that means we just need to figure out a way to think about those things. So what can we do to set some reminders? Maybe we can, you know, put something, um, you know, in place so that we remember to just look at our skills sheet, to give us a moment to break. Um, and that's it. Like, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's, it's really just small steps hopefully to help get us and again i work with a population that is not um they're at they're they're at their they're at the end of the rope they've done everything they've tried everything when they come to me they're tired of dieting they're tired of doing this and they're like i realize now that this is not working for me i have to do something differently that doesn't mean we're never going to focus on fat loss but most of what we're going to focus on is 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 getting them into a place where they're um, accepting of where they are. And then, you know, if we're in a place where that can be, it's probably not going to be counting calories or macros or anything, but it can still be, I mean, I've had clients who don't track, don't do anything that have lost 60, 70 pounds just because they've started focusing on other things and, and they stopped binging or short. Yeah. yeah. And where you start from as well, it always matters where you start from. And that's the thing, focusing on other things. You just made me do a happy jump because it's the biggest barrier to people accepting this stuff and accepting themselves oh but then i'll never have fat loss oh but then i'll never get to this oh but then i'll never blah 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 because you don't think that you're going to lose weight in the process you don't think that things are going to shift in the process because you're not focusing on it but when you don't focus on it it actually happens with less resistance because you're doing the things that matter the most and there was something else you said that I wanted to sum up. It was so important. But yeah, it's when you realize that, then you'll actually start to make the change. And when you mentioned it's when they're at, at the end of the road, it's like, don't get to that point where nothing else is working for you anymore. It's hard to see in the future, just like when people smoke, they say, oh, it'll never happen to me. I hate using that as an analogy, but it's just what I think of. 
but don't be that person that loses all their hope and then doesn't even try again. Because there are still some people at the end of the rope that are willing to try again, which are the ones that Jeb just mentioned. But try well, it. I would say it's, it's, it's probably not their fault. It's because they've been fed the same thing from the diet industry for you know 30 years. All you have to do is lose the weight and you'll be happy. And most of them have lost the weight five, six times, you know, and, and then they gain it back. And so, um, you know, it's the fault of the industry as a whole for, for not really realizing. And again, you know, I was in that realm. I mean, I did, when I first started out, I was focusing on, on just helping people lose fat and throwing up transformation pictures and doing all this stuff because I didn't realize that there was a downside. And then as the more I got into it, again, this online coaching community is young. This is a young industry. And it's only been around for a short, I think the longest anyone's really been coaching people online is like 15 years. And, and most people have only been doing it for five. And so we're starting to see the detriment of, you know, just using the, you know, fit your macros or the calorie counting or the, you know, whatever process. And so the pendulum has swung to the other thing where it's like diets don't work. You can't lose weight da, 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 and you shouldn't want to lose weight. If you want to lose weight, you're a bad person. And then I think now hopefully it's kind of falling back to the middle where it's like, Hey, what you find, what's important to you is important to you. You know, we can do that. I'm not the person to come to if you want to eat 1200 calories and you know, like that's not what we're going to do. Um, but you know, no, no, no problem. I can probably send you, you know, to a dozen places where you could do, I could send you to an app that costs 10 bucks a month. It'll do that for you. Um, you know, so it's, you know, it's just, it's just understanding that the client is, there's nothing wrong with people wanting to lose weight. It's just, how can we do it in a manner that is not going to damage you, especially if you've already been through it a dozen times. I love that. With that, thank you so much for coming on. That was, I think we ended it on such a strong note. So, I hope you took a lot away from this and realized that you can make the changes when you stop living in the past because change doesn't happen there. Change happens now. It doesn't even happen in the future, but knowing exactly how you want to see yourself and why it is so important and base it off you and what you truly desire and get clear on that, change will happen. You just, yeah everything like just listen to the last half of this podcast again and write down some action steps that you think you can take because being patient in the process steps will get you there a lot faster than trying to rush it and then ending up back to the start over and over and over again only to end up worse because now you're mentally not in a good place uh, contemplation stage, that's exactly what you're doing. And most people who come to us are in that stage. Like some people are in the action stage, but most people are going to be in that contemplation stage. So if they're there, we just do what we can to help provide them with some autonomy, with some self-efficacy to let them know that they're doing better. And then as they start to feel like they've got a handle on things, hopefully they'll start to move towards that action stage, but they might not. They might not. I mean, they say that 80% of the stage of change is that contemplation piece and that we don't even move into action until that last 20%. So most people are going to be in that contemplation stage. So in reality, you just kind of have to sit with them, try to support them and provide what you can to help them move along that stage, the stages of change. And, you know, if they, they do, they do. There's a good likelihood that they won't and, and they won't see results and, and they just have to come back when they're ready. 
starting something because it's usually the hardest thing for a lot of people to wrap their like to wrap their head around the fact that it's never going to be perfect it's never going to be easy because people that they see make it look so easy but it's taking ownership of where you are right now and knowing exactly where it is you want to move to and drowning out that noise that is around you because a lot of the time there are people saying different things about the same thing and they're trying to say the same thing but wrong and then you go into forums on Facebook or whatever it is and people don't even ask questions they just give opinions and shout out literally literally every single comment calorie deficit oh it's your gut health oh it's your hormones oh calorie deficit you just need to eat less you need to track your food and eat less than you currently are oh it's all your nutrition and it's it's it gets to a point where I put up a post recently on his approach now to cut for well to go into a fat loss phase for a completely vain reason because he's traveling somewhere and the way that we see the process the way that our mindset frames the process is ultimately going to dictate our approach to it our sustainability our quote unquote motivation to do it our quote unquote self-discipline to do it because both of those things don't really exist it's just that we are sold on the process to get to where we want to be and it's all about being process focused but we also need to know where we're heading and a lot of people don't even know where they're heading to like they don't have a clear picture of what it is they want to achieve all they know is what they don't want and that's the issue like you probably come across this a lot as well and i feel like this is an important thing to start to lead into that whole food conversation on the way that you view the journey but a lot of people are stuck in the fear in what they hate in the negatives that they're not actually getting really clear on how they want to feel on what outcomes they want to get out of it to even have a clear process in place so then all they see are hurdles all they see is what they can't do all they see is what's hard i need motivation for this it's like but motivation doesn't exist what is the what is the actual thing that's making you need motivation because if you could see the process steps and break it down so it's manageable for you and make it so attractive in your mind that I am doing this because I know the person that I want to be. But more than that, I know why I want to be that person because at the moment, my job is sucking. I'm not there mentally. I feel energy drained. I can't keep up with the kids. But instead of just dwelling in that, it's about, okay, so what do I want out of it? What can I get out of it? So maybe we can touch on that and bring in the food process to it because ultimately the food and the exercise slash training and protein and the basics are what actually make you progress to said outcome. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, the, the, the kind of purpose of my post was like, I, I, I don't push outcome goals with people and I don't talk about it on social media because it's it's not generally important for the clientele I work with. Um, they're, 
they've spent a life. Most women have dieted since they were children. They've had they have the outcome in their mind of what they want to look like, of the size they want to be, of the weight they want to be, and that isn't a very good determining factor of how they're going to achieve that or how they're going to get there. So for those people and the people I work with, it's way more important for us to start working on processes. And and our goals are going to look like things that are behavioral and not uh, and not physical or physiological even. Uh, there might be phys- like there might be some physical in terms of like gym PRs, like seeing better performance in the gym or like the runs. But mostly what we'll be working on is like, you know, what do I want out of this? And so with my clients, we always do kind of a values-based assessment first. We kind of create a values list. We work on goals that are associated with that values. And then we work on actions that are associated with each of those goals. And so what it does is it allows them to see a grand vision of what they want to see. And they develop it. I don't have anything to do with it. I say, this is for you to fill out. And, and, and that way, all of the steps that they are working on are self-created. Uh, and we talk about motivation. If there's someone is talking about it, they have motivation, right? A motivation means you don't even realize that that what you want exists. So if someone says, I want to lose weight, but I'm not motivated. One of the things I work on with them is saying like, well, you are, you have, but your motivation now just happens to be a little externalized. What we want to work on is getting that into a greater internal locus of control. And the way we do that is by getting better at having small challenges of challenging ourselves of getting a little bit better each time we want to have, you know, self-determination theory is kind of what drives the talk about motivation and self-determination theory. We need three simple things, autonomy. So they need to be and that's where that goal setting on their own comes up with me not assigning goals for them, but them doing it themselves. That's their autonomy. Competency, getting better at these skills. We work on a skills-based approach. And then um, community or um, um, I think it's a connectedness is how they put it in SDT. So we want to be feel connected in whether that's through coach, um, coach client relationship, whether that is through their gym or through their family, having some sort of connectedness to their goals. And so if we can provide those three things, people will work their way into that more internalized motivation. And so when I talked about my outcome, I said, you know what, I want to have abs when I go to sit on the beach on the Mediterranean. And that's a totally vain goal. If I don't get it, I don't really care. It doesn't change my life at all. But the other, the reason I can approach something like that is because my processes are so solid. My motivation is so internalized. I, I right now I'm in a slump where I hate going to the gym. I hate working out. Um, my jujitsu is not doing great, but I'm still going in the mornings, you know, but I still go, I still lift, you know, four times a week. I still go to jujitsu four to six times a week. I still get my eight to 12,000 steps in a day, every day. I still eat protein rich whole food meals because I am internally motivated. This is what I value. This is my life. This is who I am. And so it's very easy for me. Someone who does not identify like I do is not going to have that same level of internal motivation. So it's going to feel like they're moving into that more external phase where they need some kind of like driver. They need something to kind of push them. Um, and so a lot of times when people say that my motivation is low, it means that they don't want to do something and there's there's not that external thing to push them. Uh, I don't need to want to do something because I'm so motivated. And that's where the motivation talk from a lot of personal trainers and coaches where they don't actually understand the uh, behavioral health side of motivation. They say like, discipline is greater than motivation. It's like, no, discipline is the greatest form of motivation. It's internal. I am highly disciplined when it comes to my uh, gym strat, going to the gym because I am internally motivated. I have that. So those are the same thing. Um, whereas 
I am less internally motivated for food stuff because I can maintain a healthy weight just doing the things I do. So getting down to like, you know, single digit body fat is not something I'm concerned with most of the time. And it's like, oh, now I am. So I'm just going to make a couple of small adjustments. And I can do that without really worrying about, you know, it hurting my processes because I know that I will, I can float right back to where I am and I can be happy where I am. I'm content where I am. So it, this is just some gravy. And for me, sometimes I need, a, like, I don't have any competition goals right now. I don't have any um, training room goals. Like my, I'm so focused on business lately that I don't have an outcome goal. And so having this little goal of going on vacation and getting some abs, is kind of fun. It gives me a little challenge. It gives me something to do to, to mix up the routine. Um, a little bit of suffering, you know, one of the interesting thing about uh, of fitness and nutrition is that we we see uh, my good friend Ben House, I was down at his uh, place in Costa Rica, and we talked about this is, you know, one of the benefits of exercise is this idea of shared suffering. People like to like going to we people love CrossFit because they share the suffering together. They're on the floor sweating, breathing hard. They all went through this thing together and now they're connected in a way. And that's where that connectedness piece of motivation comes in. And so they, you know, going through that and, and um, knowing that other people are dieting, it's always fun to be like, oh yeah, this sucks. Like that. And, and so it makes it a little bit less uh, difficult. But I think the point I was trying to make in that post was that if your processes are, are in place, then having that outcome goal that could be detrimental to someone else is fine. If you don't have those in place, it can be uh, potentially emotionally damaging. It could be something that you, you want to be careful about because if you don't reach it, what is that going to do to you? If I don't reach that goal, I don't care. I'm happy with where I am. It's just something for me to do. I've been talking a lot with Jason Blaha lately and he always says it as well. He's like, become so invested in the process. The outcome takes care of itself. Like you don't even need to worry about the outcome. And I'm like, that's what I, I, I butchered that because it's something I always say, but he was pretty much saying the same thing. And it relates to everything with you. Like there are so many points that you just said that I wrote down and eh, people think that they always need to enjoy the process because everyone always makes it look like it's always easy to do and it's always fun to do. But that's because if you talk negative about what you're doing, then you're more likely to not do it. And people don't realize the power of the words that you use and the way that you frame things and the way that you think of the things that you do. Because if you're going to do something and then hate it while you're doing it, and not actually the thing that a lot of people miss out on is actually celebrating the little things that you do, which is a I put up such an important post with my tweets on this. And it is so important for you guys listening to this to understand that post. You can't just do something and freaking leave it there because that does jack shit for you. You need to celebrate it and not just celebrate it. How does it make you feel? Why is this important to the person you want to become? Because if you just leave it there, but you put so much emphasis and you go on and on and on about all the things you can't do and not being motivated and how much you suck, which one is holding more power? And even if we didn't go on and on and on about the bad one, our brain always has a negativity bias. That's something that Jeb and I spoke about on episodes 155 and 156, I think it is. But we always have that negativity bias to look to where we suck, where we fail. And that's something I wanted to bring into the rest of what I want to say too. But he mentioned something super powerful and that's when you say that you're lacking motivation or you don't have willpower, discipline, whatever, you aren't taking control. And a lot of people hate being put, like they hate not having to play victim 
or they hate realizing that they're the ones responsible for what's going on. And the thing is, it may not be your fault, but it's still your responsibility to make the most of what you have to move forward. And people feel victimized by that. But that's actually the power because you're bringing that external control in, internal locus of control. Those words that Jeb said are powerful because that gives you the power to now make the change. And mums, they make, making time for themselves without guilt. People that have, oh, the long post, people that have had a history of being told that they can't speak up or I guess even if you've been in a narcissistic relationship with gaslighters, even if it was part of your family, like your mom, your dad, your siblings, whatever it is, things that have made us not feel like we can speak up, show up, be there. They're all things that can hold us back because like Jeb mentioned, connectedness, community, and lack of confidence can stop this. Fear of committing to a certain path, a certain coach, fear of showing up in as in it like my inner circle for example on facebook some people don't like showing up and because they're not energetically showing up they're not energetically attracting what they want because they're they're still living in a shell they're still playing small but they want big world goals and that's exactly where that that that's where it can be something from the past, which is something you brought up somewhere as well, which I really loved, is so many of us, this is quoting Jeb, so many of us struggle to change because we are stuck in the past. We can't move past our childhood attachment to comfort foods or whatever it is in the past, you can insert there. We can't get past the body we had. We keep holding on to the weights we lifted before life took over like not even like freaking COVID. Come on, like people. Yeah, that's the other, yeah, that's the other thing I wanted to mention. We emotionally attach to the outcome, and that's something else Jeb mentioned. Where if you don't get there, then what? But we emotionally attach to the outcome. What happens when the outcome isn't the goal anymore? What if you realize that maybe fifty kilos on the scale isn't the goal anymore? But you're so emotionally attached to it. Now you feel like a failure because you're not chasing that, or you think that a calorie deficit's the only way to your goals. And you become so emotionally invested in this calorie deficit bullshit that you don't realize you can't calorie deficit your way to the life that you want to live and the body that you want and the energy that you want and being able to keep up with the kids and all the other things that you want to achieve. Take over. Yeah, no, I think I think one of the really interesting things you mentioned there is that how tied in because we we talk about this internal locus of control, but but we you know we look in. in um, I don't have it in front of me, but we, again, back to Ben and I, we were talking a lot about internal external control uh, probably about six months ago. And one of the things that is, is that a lot of the research shows that um, people that have higher internal locus of control generally come from backgrounds uh, that are um, economically more successful, um, you know, educationally uh, more adept less chances of trauma or violence outside the home or even inside the home. So when people have, 
higher external locus of control, when, when they rely on that, a lot of times that's because the environment they were brought up in. So, you know, it's, it's, it's like anything else, it's multifactorial. And so we have to understand that, like, um, like you said, it's not our fault, but, but moving forward is our responsibility. And, and that's a, that, like you said as well, that's empowering versus being um, uh, uh, something that you struggle against. Because when you realize that, you can say like, hey, this baggage I come with, the things that happened to me, they're not my fault. They're not anything that I did. But those those same things, like I can choose to carry them with me or I can choose to leave them behind and start to move forward. And the only way we move forward is by kind of taking that responsibility and taking those actions. And that action could be getting therapy. That action could be getting to the gym. That action could be, paying attention. you know, it could be any myriad of things. Um, but we will have to do something in order to move forward because otherwise we will be stuck in that past. And when we're stuck in the past, we haven't accepted the present. We haven't allowed ourselves to, to get to a place where we can move forward. You need to be able to, I asked this question to one of my girls and she didn't even have an answer for it until a couple of days later. She wrote out this massive spiel and after it all, all I said was, have you even forgiven yourself for what happened? And she came back to me a while later saying, I actually don't think I have. A lot of us don't look at all this stuff underneath because we sign up to flashy coaches and programs. We sign up to things that they they call through our ego of, okay, this is going to make me feel like I'm worthy. We sign up for competitions because we feel like that's what we want. Like we don't actually know what we want. People always think they need a goal to have a process, to have a coach. They think they always need to be on a calorie deficit wagon or making physical, massive progress to have support. But you don't realize that that is exactly why you want where you want to be. And if you actually look at how long you've been trying to go at this for and you don't feel anywhere near quote unquote there yet, maybe it's time to actually take a step back and realize that there is a lot more to this than what you eat and how you train. Like there are some times where I, that my girls have a lot of shit going on that the most that they can do is get their steps in, get their protein in, get their hydration in, get their veggies in. Because to me, those are the quote unquote minimal effective dose. And the other thing back to what you said, if you're not going to get out of those patterns and forgive yourself for the past and realize that the future is forward, the future is now. Bring the best parts out of the past instead of just focusing on the shit. Focus on the good stuff and bring that to the present so then you can create the future that you want. But back to that, fear of committing. There are so many people that have a fear of committing again to another coach, to another program, and they don't physically and energetically and emotionally give it all. Like physically committing and saying, okay, I'm doing this is completely different than holistically with all of you committing to something, showing up, having that community, like the science of community, that's something you can bring into this as well. But living in the past is what leads to self-sabotage. Living, living in past predicaments is what leads to your self-sabotage. And 
back again, not making time for yourself. Because if you feel like you're scarce on time, if you live in a deprivation mentality, you're more likely to jump to quick fixes and things that look shiny and temporary band-aids because you're not invested in you for your future because you don't see that clear direction that you're heading towards. You think you know, but it's really just based off moving away from the past and what you know. Yeah, I mean, I think most people think that they do know what they want and and what they want is to be happy to feel comfortable in their skin and there is again a, you know multifactorial barrage of you know media social media uh everything family that tell us that being smaller equals being happy and in some ways like we can look and in, in, in you know we look at incomes right people who are taller and in better shape and considered more conventionally good looking tend to make more money like i mean there is a lot of things that back up this ideal of who we are supposed to be um but unfortunately when we chase those things independent of our um emotional health or our uh you know interpersonal relationships we can get those things and they're often fleeting and, and that's why i think you see people that are so successful at losing weight that often regain it um is because they utilize these strategies that worked really well on a cognitive basis they you know cut their calories they exercised a bunch increased all these health seeking behaviors um without really paying attention to some of the underlying things because a lot of people can do extremely incredible things for 12 weeks sometimes even 26 weeks it becomes really hard to maintain that level of uh you know what i call white knuckling it you know when they say like just like kind of holding on to the steering wheel for for dear life um that becomes really hard to sustain because we just aren't built for that and so what happens is is you can see when you know dietary restraint or restriction goes for a long period of time it's like a rubber band you pull it pull it pull it pull it the further you pull it the harder it's going to snap back and so we see people that regain the weight because they haven't maybe dealt with the, the things that that were actually driving them to be unhappy you know and, and i'm not saying that everyone should strive for happiness i'm actually not a big quote unquote happiness dealer type person i think being content um you know i always come back to scandinavian countries are the happiest country or quote unquote happiest countries in the world and you ask them why and they're like because we have we don't have really high expectations we've got free healthcare you know i'm never going to go broke from from getting sick uh we make a decent living we get maternity and paternity leave we get college paid for and you know we don't have to worry about what's going to happen you know after we're done our working years whereas the united states were pretty you know regularly unhappy people uh because we're chasing things and money and we're very individualist and we don't really uh we don't really we're not a, a collectivist country at all we don't really spend a lot of time thinking about people outside of our circle and uh that tends to lead to less happy outcomes yeah you mentioned something that i went down a rabbit hole on only because i heard it on a podcast it's so good happiness versus contentment versus pleasure pleasure are like little dopamine hits you get that sense of pleasure and then you're at it again it's almost like having one night stands or sleeping with multiple people versus just committing to a freaking marriage and happiness versus contentment 
is happiness is for a longer period of time, but it's still a temporary thing. You seek things to make you happy or you try to seek this happiness state, but you're never really there. It's just like a pursuit for happiness versus contentment is feeling the wheel of emotions and being okay regardless. It's knowing your purpose. There's like a difference to having that purpose which is hard to find, but it's just knowing exactly what it is that means a lot to you and what it is that allows you to show up as your best self, which is eating in. Like someone said to me the other day that they had a completely crap weekend eating all this other stuff. And then she goes, I can't believe people live like this every single day. I feel like shit and I don't even want to leave the house. Like people are doing that every single day and they don't realize that it is your lack of activity, the food you put in your mouth, your sleep, your stress, like this all comes together to your health and fitness, which allows you to live a fuller life. Like you're always going to feel stressful time. You're always going to have anxiety. You're always going to feel all these shit things. If what you do in your lifestyle is leading to that outcome, because you can feel like you have more time if you feel like you have more energy and you feel a lot more in control of your life. But a lot of people don't feel like they have that control over their life. They're living for other people. And I guess this can kind of lead into a little bit more of that whole educational segment on the, like, what is it you need to do at the basic level to move the needle forward? And because relapse is a thing and it's something that a lot of people struggle with, it's not more so how to avoid relapse but it's how to make the relapses less and how to become more resilient in the process to building a stronger base level. Yeah. I mean, I think the main thing is just developing skills that kind of coincide with your values. Um, so again, if, if we look to what we value, you know, I think you, earlier you brought up a mother, you know, having uh trying feeling guilty for making time for herself so you know one of the things that i I remember very intently working with a woman and and she uh she hated working out because she felt so guilty for the hour hour and a half that she was gone from her kids because she didn't get as much time with them but then she noticed that she started to work out she was more patient she was more attentive and she spent more time with her kids so her value was family And then as she realized that working out made her a better and more attentive mother, and she was actually getting more quality time with her kids, it made it easy for her to leave for an hour every day to go work out because she knew she was going to show up better at home. And if we can tie those things in, we can start to see like, okay, like, listen, I mean, as a fitness person, like I'm into this stuff. Most people do not enjoy it and they're not going to like be into it like I am. It's just not going to happen. And so I have to understand that. But Um, what we do is we try and find things that they are going to like, I want everyone to lift weights. Some people just aren't like, so we have to find some kind of resistance training that will work for them. Again, walking daily is something that everyone can do. Um, but you know, every single person is going to be different. There's not really a baseline because some people are going to struggle with interpersonal relationships. Some people are going to struggle with, um, you know, we talk about dopamine, we talk about pleasure, like it works. There's a reason why people eat to avoid emotions or to cope with stress because it works. And so when someone does that, it's like, awesome, good work. You found something that got you through today and got you to tomorrow. 
Now can we start to find some alternative strategies that fit in with of who you want to be, but will also help you to maybe if, if an emotion or a time or something is too much for you to handle right now, that can distract us from that moment while we develop the long-term skills to start to deal with life's problems on life's terms better. And that's really a big part of it is how can we over the long-term start to develop this, this, this lifestyle that when things do get heavy, when things do get difficult, we're able to identify and describe our emotions and then able to process them and deal with them in a way. Um, you know, a lot, of, I was even one that said it, like sitting with your emotions. I don't really say that anymore because a lot of times we actually do have to distract to get out of that acute sense of, um, of, of, of fear, of danger, of whatever it is that causes people to go into binge-like behaviors. But once we start to develop the long-term skills, there'll be less and less of that acute fear because we will have man, we will have things in place to help manage those acute things, and over time, we'll be able to lessen them by creating a more systemic um, environment where someone is better able to cope. And and I, you know, we do that through mindfulness practices. We do that through um, assessing our emotional response. We do it through again interpersonal relationships. Um, there's a, a variety of tools we use. That's actually something that. I realized recently as well is there are a lot of people that sit so much with their emotions and so much in the past, so much with the fear that they don't see the alternative. They don't, it's not, there's not even an alternative. There's just movement forwards, but people don't see that because they're so busy focusing on that emotion. They like, yes, we need coping mechanisms, but a lot of the time those coping mechanisms can be the ones sabotaging us. It's just more so reshifting, reshifting, redirecting our mindset to something that does serve us as a better coping mechanism. And I don't know whether you know Jeff Fulch, but I can't say his last name, but he put something up on Facebook the other day that said something like, I talked to a lot of fitness professionals and a lot of the time they, they say that they've got over blah, 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 but they never really have. And then I commented on it saying, well, actually, it never really goes away. Something about trauma. It never really goes away. It's just that you find better coping mechanisms that aren't destructive anymore. And instead, they help you on a path forwards. And that is okay then, because it's not something that is ruining the quality of your life. It's not something that's making you feel less than, making you feel guilty, and making you beat yourself up. But on that other note that you said about, yeah, there's some people that don't enjoy the fitness stuff. It's just like, you're never going to enjoy it if you make your life all about it. And there are people thinking that you need to live in the gym. People think you need to train two hours a day, six days a week. And I used to be that person where I was just like, yeah, I love showing up to the gym. I love training. But as soon as business became such a high priority for me and life became so much more important to me outside of the gym, I like as much as I would love to be in the gym five days a week, as much as I would love to do that, it's not realistic. And I used to always want to sacrifice everything just to get into the gym six days a week, once upon a time. Oh no, I have to go to the gym. But people see it as it needs to be that way. I'm only in there four days a week and I have life and things like making this podcast the other three days. You don't need to make it more complicated than it needs to be, but you also need to realign your expectations with the level that you're playing at. But you also need to raise the level that you're playing at, which is what we spoke about before in taking that hard ownership 
to realize the steps you need to take to start moving forward and bring that internal locus of control to you. Because if you don't start making those actions forward, you're going to keep living in the past. And I'm going to read off this comment that someone left on my photo. And I think it's something that you can address because it's what some two other people messaged me saying that they related to Nikki's comment, but they didn't want to comment. She's like, I think you just said everything that's in my head. Not smart enough, not strong enough, not worthy enough. What will my parents think? What if my kids don't like me? What if others don't like me? And what will the people I know walking down the street say? Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty typical though. But I mean, it's, but again, we have to think about this. If we really break this down into a completely, you know, hierarchical, you know, sense of, of, you know, where we come from as a species, like we are a hierarchical animal. Like you look at, at troops of monkeys, they will have, you know, the, the kind of, uh, they will, they will jockey for position. And part of what they do is, you know, rather than actually trying to establish taking on the top, uh, the top, you know, monkey in the in in the in the tribe, they'll see instead where they'll attack lesser monkeys to kind of show their dominance over them. Um, and so that self doubt is, you know, having we basically have that hierarchical structure where we are attacked, but it's subtle, right? We're getting all these cues, like I said, from media. So if you're a woman, you're you've grown up under the shadow of. Uh, you know, when when I was in high school, every woman wanted to look like Kate Moss, which was a toothpick. Now every girl is expected to look like Kim Kardashian with like a giant butt and giant boobs and a waist that's like 20 inches around. Like just complete, both completely unrealistic, like, you know, I mean, magic or Barbie doll. You know, they, they took the Barbie and blew her up into human proportions and it was like just absolutely unreal. Um, and so if we look at that and we look at that kind of subtle uh bombardment throughout life then of course that's kind of how people say what will people think if um and in some terms yes that it can be very damaging when we take that to the extreme um but we do have to understand like evolutionarily like that is there is a reason that we care about what others think because that is how we move through society right we move through society we are able to do the things we do because we work cooperatively and the way we work cooperatively is to get people to like us is to get people to want to give us things or do things for us and so we change our behaviors often in order to fit into that site now whether we can we can argue whether you know that that's healthy or not but but that is the natural order of things so what we have to do then is to decide what is the group then that I want to belong to? And can I belong to that group in a way that is congruent with my values and who I am so that I don't have to try to change what I believe in in order to fit into that group? So a lot of it then becomes, again, this, this talk about interpersonal relationships. How do I relate to others? Am I being clear in, in my needs? Am I being clear in my boundaries? And oftentimes we're just not. And so as we start to work on ourselves and as we start to work on our own emotional attachments, our own traumatic histories, we start to develop a stronger sense of self. And as we develop a stronger sense of self, hopefully we can let go of some of these fears. Of others. But those are always going to exist. I mean, 
I lift weights for a reason. I have tattoos for a reason. You know, I, I dress when I go out for a reason. And that is because I am trying to portray an image that I think others will like or that others will be attracted to or that others want in business, the things we talk about. It's so that we attract people that are interested in what we do. And so understanding that and, and instead of looking at it as like, um, what's wrong with me? Why do I think this way? I think like this is a natural thought process. We can't let it control us, but we can understand where it comes from and say, like, you know what, like, there's a reason I think this way, but but how can I fit into a community or find an aspect of a place that fits my values, fits my needs, so that I don't have to constantly try to feel like, what if I am not enough for this group and instead find a group that that supports you and and confirms that you are enough. Um, and that's including loved ones and family, but obviously this person, you know, who had a comment was probably someone who has a lot of familial and, and, and traumatic history that, you know, that, that is not really our scope of practice to work on. I, I say to my clients all the time, we, we don't deal in the past. You and your therapist deal in the past. You guys can go that, you know, if you want to go like do an ayahuasca ceremony and find a shaman, like you guys can go deal with your past. We deal with the now and we deal with the future. My scope of practice does not cover the past. We can talk about it. I'm glad to listen. I cannot help you with that. Yeah, that's that's that last bit is important. It's like, yeah, we can help you with that in a way that we're asking questions. We're getting like we're allowing you to see certain things, but we can't solve it for you. That needs to come from you, and we can't give you the answers because we didn't experience that stuff, and it's not within our scope to do that. But it's important to acknowledge it. It's important to talk about it. It's important to to realize that you are safe now from whatever that is and that you have grown in the process. And that's the part that people don't remember. It's the growth in between those traumatic events. It's like whatever trauma was there, you've actually gained so much more tools in your toolbox, so many more tools in your toolbox, so many more, I guess, you've moved through space in a way that was either with coping mechanisms or in a way that was you being freaking strong, dealing with that stuff. Like whatever it was, that is strength to be able to get through. And that strength is your superpower now moving forward. But it's also realizing that it's this moving toward that makes the biggest difference in your success because living in the past isn't gonna get you there. And that's that fear of committing again. That's that fear of trusting yourself again. And like, how would you actually deal with, like everything that you just said, how would you put in action steps to develop the skills, to move away from that, that bubble of negativity and fear and not feeling worthy enough, feeling guilty, the self-sabotage? How would you put in those skills and actions and I guess yeah action steps to move them towards the person they want to become so that they have that clarity and I guess they stop emotionally attaching themselves to things that are externally out of their control yeah well first of all I wouldn't I wouldn't implement anything. I would find things that they want to implement and allow them the space to do it and help kind of guide them along with that. And that's, again, we, we, we work on that. That's, that's a big part that, that we work on is coming, them coming up with those things. 
Um, in terms of skills that we use, like I just present a lot of, you know, if we're talking about acute issues, like, um, you know, kind of binge-like episodes, people that uh, find themselves in emotional eating episodes, uh, people that, you know, again, coping mechanisms are like these things, like, you know, people who deal with binge eating episodes or um, emotional eating episodes or mindless eating or things like that, those are effective. There's a reason for them. And so the things, and, and you, you kind of said like the, the strengths that people gain through traumatic experiences, they're, they're strengths, but they're also great weaknesses because what you'll see is, is, you know, there's in particular, one thing that I found with a lot of people is the ability to, um, you know, kind of compartmentalize. So being able to have a, a negative experience, but not allowing that to affect the rest of them, because, um, you know, part of a trauma response in and of itself is that we um, we compartmentalize. So we withdraw, we you kind of um, almost, um, you know, people talk about like almost an out-of-body experience that allows them to kind of remove themselves from the situation so that they're not actually feeling as if they are there involved in it. And what happens is later in life, you still can use that skill. So if something really uh, stressful happens or whatever, you kind of almost leave the situation and it happens there almost as if you're not not there. Now that can be a problem because as we age, like all of a sudden we have to deal with these things, right? Like, um, you know, now if it was obviously a great trauma, it's not our choice of whether to deal with it. That's an autonomic response. But, the, you know, lesser things that are just like, uh, I don't know, like uh, my garbage disposal broke. You know, that could send somebody who has unresolved issues that they haven't worked with a therapist with into an absolute tailspin. And, and so if that coping mechanism, you know, we talk about gradients of, of um, compulsion and, and what's important, you know, if that person is a recovering alcoholic, then guess what? The Twinkies are probably a pretty fine response. Like, that's good because they're not going for a bottle of vodka, right? Because we know that that's more damaging. Um, you know, maybe we move from Twinkies to uh, playing a word, cro a crossword puzzle, right? And then maybe that crossword puzzle becomes a lifetime of exercise and mindfulness. Um, you know, so so we can create kind of this this greater uh, range of, of coping mechanisms, but we have to understand that, that um, they're there for a reason. They're there to prevent um, greater like systemic breakdowns. You know, it's, it sounds mechanical. And a lot of times, you know, I, I part of what I do is, is, is kind of that, that hundred foot view to be able to look at these emotional responses and behavioral responses that people have and see them as mechanisms of action that, that occur, um, you know, almost like, like a computer program would these things are, it's like, boom, boom, these things are going in place to fix and, and keep the, the computer from shutting down because otherwise it's going to overheat. And so being able to take that kind of, uh, unemotional view of it lets me to say like, okay, this isn't a bad thing. I know you look at this and think that this is a terrible thing, but this is actually helping you right now. Now, can we find something that maybe helps in a, in a little bit better way, in a way that, that you are happy with, because this thing only helps for the next hour. And then what happens is you feel guilt and shame tomorrow and then you feel terrible about it. And then, you know, you're more likely to re-engage in that behavior again, because now it's that you're in that kind of shame cycle. Um, but I think just acknowledging to them that they are succeeding in what they are trying to achieve helps them to take away some of the guilt and shame in it. Um, talking about when they have an overeating episode, you know, removing it from the darkness so that it's not this shame thing where they're in the closet and, you know, eating Oreos. Like I always bring up Oreos because like they are, I mean, to me, Oreos are the like quintessential, like crack, like food. I mean, like, I could eat a package of Oreos and almost all my clients would agree. 
And so it's that's a thing is like being in the closet, just shoving down like Oreo after Oreo after Oreo. And um, that's that's a that's a difficult that's a difficult thing for people to kind of come to terms with. But when they bring it out of the darkness into the light, like it, shame can't live in light. You know, shame. If you bring it out there and put it out there, it helps to alleviate it. And so we can kind of start working on those things. And then then um, it's just a process. But having them find the things that work for them. Um, most of my clients come up with their solutions all on their own. Sometimes I'll make suggestions here and there, but usually the thing that works is the thing that they've come up with. Yeah, that's that's the beauty of asking questions. And this is why I ask so many questions. It's because your answers are better than my answers because you know yourself, but I'm like, that's what coaches are. We're here like mirrors to help you find your, like to, to shine clarity on your part, like a path that works for you. Like we can make the best suggestions that we can and help you as best that we can, but it's, it takes two to tango. And if you don't get out of that shame and you're, and you don't get out of that lack, like I find a lack of confidence, like again, with the lack of confidence to show up energetically, a lack of confidence to show up in a conversation and speak your mind is going to hold you back because you're not going to say what you want to say. You're going to say what you think wants to be heard. And sometimes what you think wants to be heard isn't in line with what you actually feel is right for you. Or you say not just what wants to be heard, but you say what you think is right because other people are doing it. Other people make it look easy. Other people have the body that you want. So that has to be the answer. So I'm going to say that because that's what I used to do. It's, oh, this has to be the answer because she has the body and I know that that's going to get me the goals that I want. But that is that Band-Aid. And I'm sure you would agree with that one as well. Like that's pretty much what people base their perception of what they need to do moving forward. I want to read out something that Jeb put up and I freaking love it. And I want that to kind of sum up where we're going with this. Because if this is not the most important part, then I don't know what is. Aside from that last bit that we just said about making the changes to move forward and knowing that it is within your control to trial and error it, because sometimes it does take trial and error. But if you're le- leeching onto external outcomes, then you're gonna feel a lot more out of control. You're gonna feel a lot more like a failure, quote unquote. You're gonna feel a lot more like you're never gonna be there. You can't keep up, life is taking over you because it's not in your control and all of these things that are popping up are not in your control. But if you can internalize that and realize, okay, some days you can go hundred percent. Some days you might need to dial it back to 70% and that's okay. Sometimes you might need to dial it back to just a minimum effective dose of like 30, 40% and that's okay. But that's because you've internalized your control and you know, you're okay with that. But with Jeb's post, So many of us struggle with change, like I mentioned, but responsibilities build. Sometimes our movement drops. Sometimes we might end up in families, have kids, end up with a partner who probably has their own kids. And we don't stop to accept reality. And until we do, we can't change it. Again, bringing the internal locus of control. And the only way to do that is to stop living in the past, whether it's an ideal image, it is actually an idealized image of who you were because our memories aren't really true. They're our perception of them based on other things that have confirmed it. 
I'm sure you can bring that into this, but the reason you are who you are today, it's sometimes sitting in the past too long to try to figure out why things are the way they are leaves you living in the past instead of looking for ways. I try to, I try to frame this without making excuses seem like such a negative word, but instead of using excuses against like, I'm scared of failure, I'm fearful of this, scared of that, instead of using excuses against, turn those excuses into reasons why you should be doing something like reasons, reasons forward as in reasons of because of this, the reason now is that I want to build up my confidence. I want to build up my strength so that I can overcome these things again. I can overcome these things in the future. It's like turning it into reasons for becoming a better version of yourself, which is really hard because like we said, negativity bias. I've I've always failed before. Well, this is a reason why I am going to start at a level that I can play at and be patient in the process. And this is why I am going to actually show up and commit even just that little bit and start focusing on how strong I feel, my feelings. Like make it something that's manageable for you in a way that excites you. Because when you think of how it makes you feel, you're more likely to do that again versus excuses against like, oh, I'm lazy. I've always quit. What's the point? This is exactly why I need to show up when I don't want to. So I prove myself wrong. I prove myself wrong in that I am not a quitter. I don't always give up and I am going to do this for myself because I will feel better. I will have more energy and I can actually say that I did it. So that was a ramble to get you to sum all of that up into what you feel are the most important things people can take away from this and how they can actually apply it into their training, into their nutrition, into their lifestyle so that they can live a healthier life and get towards the life they want to live, the person they want to be, the body they say they want to have. Um, yeah, well, you know, you said like perception of us is now, I won't go down the rabbit hole, but I don't, you know, I believe that everything's perception and there's no free will. And, and, uh, so I, I'm, I'll, I, I'm pretty big into that, that whole philosophical camp of, uh, more so in, in the way Sapolsky frames it as, uh, the, the fact is that, that you're looking in front of you. And as you look in front of you, what you're seeing is, is at least milliseconds behind what's happening. So every bit of the present is actually the past. Um, and, and we have no real control over uh, over the the things that are going to happen to lead us there. Um, and so that that theory of free will, I, I think, is 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 pretty you know realistic. And so if we try to take the perception of the past, it's even more skewed than our perception of, of reality, the present. Um, but that's a weird rabbit hole that, <laughs> that my friends and I we spend a lot of time talking about. Um, but but I think you know kind of this idea of um, so with that. I'm going to leave Jeb's Instagram down below, but he has a lot going on. So is there anything else that you want to add to that aside from your Instagram? No, um, just, I, I will say if there's any coaches listening, uh, we are running our next sequence of the compound performance. Uh, we're calling it the standard nutrition. It's a nutrition mentorship that runs 10 weeks. We have a, a bunch of guests from uh, Dr. Lisa Lewis, Dr. Ben house, um, we've got, uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson on there. Um, so there's lots of nutrition professionals that come on and kind of talk about how they, 
structure their um, their nutrition and, and Dean Guido, my my uh, my partner, who I think has been on the podcast recently as well. Uh, him and I run that together, and so we kind of talk about how we run our businesses. And so, if you're a coach and you're interested in uh, becoming a hopefully, or if you're a personal trainer looking to get into nutrition, it's a great course to kind of move in that direction. So you can find that at um, compoundperformance.net. Perfect. So with that, thank you so much for coming on. And I hope you got a lot out of this podcast. Reach out to both of us if anything resonated with you. And if you pop yourself onto Jeb's Instagram at any time, don't just look at the images, read the posts, because they bring a lot of meaning to them. And like, don't, don't just flip past things and be like, you know, that three second time <laughs> scroll. Yeah. Yeah, that is what I do a lot of the time. But yeah, it's when you actually take the time to read deep into things. Oh, this is what I'm going to sum it up on because it's the most important part. You can read all the things, you can look at all the things, but it does jack shit, even if you just take notes. Because unless you apply those notes to you and your life and how you resonate with it and how it can help you move forward. They're just words on paper and they're going to go forgotten. Actually take this podcast, take Jeb's captions, take my captions because my captions hold a lot in there too. Take them and make them mean something to you and your life so that you can actually take those steps forward to make meaningful change. And with that, you'll hear me on the next podcast.